Episode 3291 of the Survival Podcast, and today's episode is called uh, Everything is Falling Apart, so it's time to build. I think how this episode started today, I was wondering what was going on with the news. I was thinking, like, what, what, is, what is the average person reading about on, like, national news sites today? What's on people's mind? What's at the forefront of thought in America. Went to Fox News, first mistake. Stayed there long enough to read, second mistake. Read a headline, third mistake. The headline was an article about uh, whatever its name is, Dylan, the the beer tranny, right? And that's, that's who Dylan is to me from now on, a beer tranny, right? So I, I start reading this, and I realize this is a very long article, even for Fox News. This is an extensive piece of journalism here. And about 75% of the article is critiques of people beating up on Budweiser on Twitter to, to point out how bad Budweiser messed up by sending the beer tranny a can of beer with the beer tranny's face on it and the beer tranny did TikTok videos. And, and people are losing their minds over this. Now, I don't really care one way or another. But I'm sitting here and I'm going, okay, where are we at in society right now? The dollar's losing its status as global reserve currency. The United States is in terminal decline as an economic empire in the world. The elites are pushing us toward World War III. We have our trains derailing. Three times a day, we're having train derailments. Food production and and other type of industrial facilities are blowing up. 18,000 cows die in an explosion on a dairy farm, because this makes sense. I'll have more on that. Some little bit of um, uh, third-party backdoor information about that one, by the way, just a happenstance. All this crazy shit's going on. But what's really important is the beer training. The beer tranny. And the ultimate enemy of the beer tranny and the beer tranny's ilk, right, is Fox News. Because Fox News is the bastion of conservative journalism and whatever. And they put this clown on their site and their channel about six times a day. I said last week, if I was Mike Lindell, the pillow dude, I'd be like, why does the beer tranny get millions of dollars of free publicity and I have to pay for mine? What's up with that? But this is what everybody's worried about. And so I, I I saw that story and I was on Noster and it prompted a post from me about what we could actually do. And I, I have 10 things that I'm going to go through today that you can do to build your own life while the whole world's falling apart behind you. So that's where it came from today. Before we jump into that, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is Paul Wheaton. His Kickstarter's over. If you missed it, well, you missed it. And if you want the stuff from it later, you'll have to pay more for it. But I've got a great deal for you today if you're interested. Uh, Paul Wheaton's recent Low Tech Labs Kickstarter came from documenting one of the permaculture technology jamborees. 
This is where people traveled to the wilds of Montana to Paul Wheaton's uh, mountaintop uh, little kingdom up there is his duchy because he's the duke of permaculture and they learn from real experts how to do all this real stuff it is an incredible thing it's fairly long not everybody goes to the whole thing though because it is pretty long this year it'll be july 3rd through the 14th in missoula montana let me tell you there are some worse places to spend the fourth of july than the mountains of montana there's some worse places to spend summer within the mountains of Montana. It's a pretty awesome place to be. You can learn all about it in this post today, but this buy one, get one deal, that means you get two tickets for the price of one. Don't snooze on this. If this is something you want to do, you really want to consider acting like now. I don't do a whole lot of the buy now, get it now stuff. Like that's not me, I'm not that kind of marketer or salesperson. Uh, but in, in some instances, it's warranted. Today and tomorrow you have to do this. And then tomorrow it goes away and it goes back to full price for everybody. If you don't have somebody that you want to go do this with, you might want to get like on our Discord or Telegram or something like that. Say, does anybody want to go? Because you don't like have to prove you're married or something to take advantage of this, right? So this might be something where you pick it up and you can offer one of the tickets to somebody else at half price later or what have you. But definitely check it out. I wish I could be up there. I've got enough travel scheduled this year that I can't make another trip. Uh, but this would be something you really want to get to. It's definitely one of those things that you want to do sooner or later at some point in your life. Next up, if you uh, aren't going to go to Montana, but you want to meet me and come hang out, I'm going to be in Bastrop uh, next month. Uh, I'm going to be there from, I don't know, 18th to the 22nd is the Exit and Build Land Summit 3. This is a great venue. Bastrop is a cool place. I'll definitely make sure that at least one or two nights that I'm available after hours. We did a pretty cool get together at a pizza place right on the river and had some beers and hung out there. The last time I was there, we'll do something like that or similar. Really great people. Definitely something you want to come down and be part of. Links to the Permaculture Jamboree and the Bastrop Exit and, Land, Exit and Build Land Summit are in the video notes below and in the audio notes for today's show. With that, let's uh, let's get on into this. Let's let's kind of chat about um, what's what's really going on out there right now. So I want to start off with this dairy farm exploding, right? I talked about it a little bit last week, but we had. An explosion on a farm, and as I said, this has to actually be more like a factory, and calling it a factory farm is probably being too kind in calling it a farm at all. But this this weekend, well, not really this weekend, Friday, I took my wife out to dinner, lunch really, and uh, we ended up being seated in the bar at this place, and the bartender waited on us, so we started talking to the bartender, and like all these similarities start coming out with my wife's family and his family. Uh, he was from the Netherlands, which my wife's family's from, and then grew up on a dairy farm. My my father in law grew up, uh, well, spent a lot of his adult life managing a dairy, and it turned out he was from South Texas, and he was very good friends with the family that owned this place that exploded, and he said they don't know what happened. But they feel like it was an inside job or something like that. They know it wasn't just an organic accident. They don't know what it is, but they know it was done. They know it was done intentionally. So 
I guess if you're a dairy farmer, you could piss. You could have some enemies, you know. Maybe Fat Tony doesn't like that you replace the the rat milk in the cafeteria with real milk. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you don't. Um, it's from The Simpsons, guys. But honestly, you would think that if somebody did something like that, that's more of an act of a domestic terrorist than it is somebody trying to get even with a dairy farm. And, you know, 18,000 cattle. I didn't want to, like, I didn't want to spend too much time talking to this guy because it's, you know, my date day with my wife. But I, I wanted to I wanted to really dig into it, and I just didn't. But, like, how do 18,000 cattle die? Was this a giant, like, under cover roof like this is something really weird so we have you know that's just one and if that was the only thing it would just be one but we've had multiple major food production facilities just blow up get incinerated have planes crash into them in the past few years and people say like those types of industrial accidents have always happened well they do happen but not at this frequency and like i said last week i think there's some there's some balance here not every single thing that happens is actually like the oligarchy trying to starve us to death and make us eat the bugs but there's something going on beyond just accidents and i think it's a combination of decaying archaic infrastructure in a society at its end uh, of empire the edge of empire and i think that it's also that there is something nefarious going on but you know let's worry about the beer training Beer training is the most important thing there is right now, beer training. On, on top of this, the truth comes out about the Ukraine. No one seems to care. So if, if you've been hiding under a rock lately, and I haven't been paying close attention, and even I know what's going on, there was a leak of highly classified documents from the government that shows that pretty much every single thing you've been told about Ukraine from the very beginning is a lie. You may apologize to me now, some of you, by the way, who has been telling you what's going on is what's going on the whole time. But how would I know? I'm just a redneck duck farmer. But we basically have found out the U.S., the U.K. and French personnel, among others, are on the ground actively fighting in this war. Now, it's not a huge number of troops, but it's like, you know, double digits of U.K., U.S. and French special forces. And that's just what we know from what was leaked. Now, if you're old enough to remember Vietnam, or at least remember your parents talking about Vietnam, we're only there as advisors. We're only providing material support. Oh, it's just a few special forces helping in select situations. Like, that's it's a movie we saw before. We know how it ended. Over 50,000 Americans never coming home in an, on, an ongoing multi-decade conflict that was never declared a war which we eventually lost and had to retreat from uh, calling it peace with honor, even though it was no such thing as uh, we, we departed from our embassy's rooftops, which seems awful similar to something that recently happened in Afghanistan. Yeah. And, and here we go straight. I mean, we haven't even, we haven't even gotten all the equipment that we are going to get home home yet. And we're already doing this again. Maybe this is a mistake. So we found that out. We found out that U.S. allies left and right are bailing on us, and, and they're, they're not exactly uh, buying into the fact that Ukraine is winning and Ukraine's victory is inevitable. And so I've talked about some of these other things, but these are things like, you know, trading partners and key allies like Japan and France doing business with Russia 
in ways that we said we don't want them to do. And then we went and pretended that we made an exception for Japan. Well, if you dig into this leak, you'll find there's a lot more of it. There's a ton of our allies that are either actively uh, circumventing our wishes with Russia, or even in some instances, maybe actually contributing to Russia's side of the war effort. And these are countries that we are, you know, if not allies with, at least friendly with. And we've also found out Ukraine is not winning, which which anybody who was honest in the beginning already knew. Because the war in Ukraine is not the war that you're being told that it is. It's not a war for Ukraine. It's a war over a couple provinces in eastern Ukraine, which nobody will talk about. So that's going on. Um, the dollar continues to slip in reserve status. I won't go into all the stuff I covered last week, but... Anybody who's an honest, honest person that understands the basis of basics of economics, that also knows the history of the U.S. global economic policy, 1900 to 2023, would tell you that it's inevitable that sometime in the life of most living people, we will be able to officially say the dollar is no longer the global reserve currency. It may be a reserve currency, but it won't be the global reserve currency. And I, I think that's inside a decade. Easy. Really. I really do. Um, we also have the financial elite, like AKA Bloomberg says, inflation's your fault, right? Inflation's your fault. We've all been way too accepting of inflation. So if you read this opinion article on Bloomberg, basically it says that this is all our fault, that People used to protest when inflation was so high, and now people just buy the stuff, and that is the reason for inflation. That it's your fault that you actually go out and spend the money it takes to feed your family, and if you just wouldn't buy the food, if you just wouldn't pay for the things, if you would just do without, if you just didn't pay your rent or didn't pay your mortgage, if you just quit spending the money, then inflation would go away. You talk about people that lived in a lily white privileged world. Anybody that writes anything like this dribble has never had a challenging day in their life. I'm going to go out on a limb and say Chris Bryant and Adriana Felstead, neither one of these people have ever actually been hungry in their life. Oh, they might have gotten to 430 in the afternoon someday without a Big Mac and thought, hey, I need to eat. What I mean by hungry is they didn't eat today. They didn't, they're not going to eat tomorrow. They're not sure if they're going to eat the next day. And they're really worried about feeding themselves. Like these people have never done that. These people have never rucks, you know, carried a rucksack for a few miles in the jungle. These people have never built a house. They don't know how a freaking uh, framing square works. These people don't know what a freaking jigsaw is. These people don't know anything that they're writing an article like this. This is positively ridiculous. Inflation is your fault. All you have to do is stop paying for the things that you have to have. Stop paying your bills. Don't worry about it, and inflation will go away. <sighs> and summing this all up, there's a phrase from Roman history that people talk about. Bread and circuses. If you give the people bread and circuses, they'll never revolt. And people invoke it like during football season or whatever. But it's not even bread and circuses now. It's pharmaceuticals and television. And when I say pharmaceuticals, I'm talking about all other things, not just directly drugs that people use to basically placate themselves. 
to become a couch potato, to become a vegetable. I, you know, I, I, I ended up in a store this weekend because my wife wanted to go shopping after lunch. And I found myself a place to sit down. I found like the place where they had like the lawn furniture and all kicked back and decided to read a book on, on a Kindle app instead of actually shop. Cause I really didn't want to be there. And I put my book down after a while, realizing she's shopping for real this time. She's going to be here a while and just started doing some people watching. And I just said, you know what I'm going to do off the top of my head. I'm going to say healthy, not healthy. When I see people walk by me. Okay. And I'm going to side to err on the healthy side. So if I looked at a person and like, yeah, they might be okay. I don't know. I'm just going to call it healthy. And so I sat there keeping a tally in my head and I went 42 unhealthy to 19 healthy. And I quit. I got depressed and quit. Now this wasn't kind of like a low end Walmart on the first through the 15th where you would expect that kind of ratio. This was a target in a very affluent upper class part of Fort Worth. This was a target that you, you know, you will see, you know, Maseratis parked out in front of on occasion, not a lot of the time, but you will, you'll definitely see plenty of Corvettes and Audis and stuff like that. This is, this is not your, uh, your trailer park Walmart. This is an upper class white women living on Chardonnay in a box target. And it was a ratio of two to one healthy versus not healthy. And I intentionally threw out old people. I don't mean to throw out old people. I'm just saying what I mean is I did not include them in this discussion. I looked for, you know, people that were middle-aged down to, you know, uh, young adults. So I threw kids out of this and I just went like 20 something to 50 something average person. And it was a two to one ratio, healthy, not healthy to healthy. And you can only get there in a society like this with, you know, drugs and TV. Or as someone else said here, pharmaceutical, Darkwing Dave said in the live chat, pharmaceuticals and social media. Right. We've gotten to a place now where people don't live in the real world. They don't go out and do things. They sit around all day medicating themselves. And when I say medicate, I don't necessarily mean drugs again. I mean anything to feel better because they're in a naturally depressed state. And the reason people are in a naturally depressed state is why? Why? Because they're disconnected from their natural state. If you disconnect any animal, any creature, any being from its natural state, it will become depressed. And if it doesn't know its natural state, it might adapt and be in pretty good spirits. But if you, so for instance, if you have chickens and they are born into captivity and they are born into a chicken tractor and you move the chicken tractor every day, the chickens are pretty happy because they have the basic things they need and they don't know any different. But if you take chickens who have never been in a chicken tractor, they've been free range birds for about, let's say, a year or two, and you put them into a tractor, they become very, very miserable. Because they know their natural state and they've been disconnected from their natural state. While we get born into captivity in society today, we're far more intellectually adept than a chicken. I know sometimes when you look at beer tranny dude and all, you wonder if that's the case, but we are. And so even when we've never experienced our natural state as beings, we know enough of what it is to become depressed. But we've also been seduced into this. This is the real world. This is the way. No, the real world is a freaking redwood tree. 
Okay, the real world is a rainbow trout on the end of a rod making your drag stream. The real world is crosshairs on an elk, and if you pull the trigger bad, you miss, and you never see it again. That's the real world. The real world is this big piece of meat can become 10 steaks if you know how to cut a straight line. This is the real world. The real world is everything except what TV says, including the TV show The Real World says it is. The real world is dirt. The real world is it's cold some days and hot others, and the wind blows hard sometimes and it doesn't. The real world is in an air-conditioned space that keeps you at the exact temperature that you want to be at. Though I'm not opposed to that, but you got to get out of the out of the damn room once in a while. The real world is not going to and fro in what I refer to as mobile metal coffins. In one of the poems I wrote back when I was a young man, I used to write poetry, mobile metal coffins going to and fro, carrying the people wherever they feel they must go. If you haven't switched on yet what a mobile metal coffin is, it's a car, not the real world. It's not the real world. All these modern conveniences we have, they are great ways to enhance the real world up until the point where they begin to replace it. And once it begins to replace it, then the only thing that people can do for themselves at that point is to indulge in more and more and more and more and more of it in an attempt to make themselves feel better. And it is exactly like a drug in that anybody that's ever struggled with a substance knows that it probably started out with they did the substance once or twice, and at some point they did it at the right time, right, where it just worked out. They didn't take too much. They didn't get hung over or whatever, and they got this incredibly euphoric feeling. And it was so euphoric. It felt so good that it became, I need, I need to do this again. And they end up chasing the dragon, right? They keep looking for that first experience again, and it never comes. But they still feel better. For a time. And then it begins to wane. So you take more to feel even better and more to feel better. And eventually, as the addiction completely dominates one's life, instead of taking more to feel better, you take more to not feel as bad. And the medication now is keeping yourself out of the exact bottom of the gutter where you just end your life. And most people that are drug addicts, they don't feel good when they're high, right? If they've progressed as an addict to the point where they're full-blown addiction, they just feel much worse when they're not. This is society. And this is why people seek the adrenaline hit, right, of let's all dogpile on the beer tranny dude. Right. You guys all know that I think people like that are mentally delusional, that they're that they're, they have mental illness that they shouldn't be uh, deified. Rather, they should be probably institutionalized, institutionalized, right? And if not, they should at least be told, hey, you want to live this way, go do it. But you leave our children alone, right? You leave our children alone, you can go do whatever you want. But, I mean, legitimately, when a person believes they are a thing that they are not, that's a mental illness. They're in a delusional state. I, I think that as long as we have boundaries, it's a it's a delusion that doesn't have to hurt anybody that chooses not to be part of it. So it should be left alone as a freedom, but it's still a delusion. If you believe yourself to be a cat, you're delusional. 
If you believe that you should have been born missing your left leg from the knee down, you're delusional. And no doctor who should keep his medical license would remove your, your, your leg from the knee down, nor should he remove the breasts of a teenage girl or the penis of a teenage boy or anybody's as far as I'm concerned. But in the end, when you're a grown ass adult, you do what you want. But, but this idea that this is the most important thing in the world right now is a symptom of this sick society that needs something to make it feel. And there's another thing about like not feeling bad, right? So it goes from feeling good to not feeling as bad as you could to the point where the addict uses the substance to feel anything. Like your baseline is almost no feeling anymore. You're just a, this like automaton. And then like if I use, I'll feel something. Even if it's pain, I'll feel something. And that's where society is so dumbed down and controlled and screwed up that at least when I feel outraged, I feel something, I feel something. And it's just nonsense. It's all nonsense. Who gives a shit? Bud Light put tranny dude on a can of beer and sent it to him. And did I misgender him? Oh, well, tough shit. And he did some TikTok videos. Oh, okay, whatever. Again, why is Fox News giving this dude like $6 million a week worth of free uh, press if they think he's such a bad thing? Maybe it's because his talent agency, you know, cut a deal. Hey, you can say shit, but at least put him on for at least this long and we'll, we'll, we'll throw you. I don't know. All I know is this is a messed up society. And none of this shit is going to change. None of it's going to get fixed. And we are heading headlong into this massive economic and societal shift specifically in America, but the whole Western world, our leaders have ceased to care, even pretend to care about what people need. Right. And instead they only care about power and they, they, they've pulled off something that I think even the, the most tyrannical infamous dictators of all time, the Stalins, the Maos, the freaking, you know, the the the, the freaking Mongol hordes, I, I, Tamer Lane, man, you know, Genghis Khan, like the the, the Roman Empire, uh, Roman emperors, like I think all of them would just sit back and go, "Holy shit, how did you do this?" And that that amazing coup that they've pulled off is they've actually convinced the masses to see to power as well. Because usually the one thing you had is if you did it long enough, the pitchforks came out, the torches came out, and people started hanging in the streets. And the elite knew that, and they feared that above all things. And if nothing else, at least they would put out a sacrificial lamb and say, hey, hey we got it now, we're going to take care of it. But every empire that ever fell got to the point where the elite decided it was less important to fix this road and more important to make sure that the road commissioner stays in power. Okay. That's where we, that's perfect. But now you have people on both sides, you know, civilians, if it were, that have completely bought into, Oh, you said a bad thing about the Orangemen. You must support Biden. Oh, you said a bad thing about Biden. You must be a Trump tard. As though there's no third option at all. And both sides don't care 
They don't just give their side a pass. They literally don't care what their side does. It doesn't matter. Their, 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 their person can be best friends with the person they say is their mortal enemy, Klaus Schwab, and, oh, we'll give them a pass. The person can be a complete pervert. Give them a pass because he's our pervert. And we will not fix this. It must crash and burn. What we can do is build our own lives. And that that article is what, again, caused me to do this post on Noster today. And I'm pulling from that. So what should we be doing? Ten things. One, talk about it all the time. Grow your own food. If they're going to blow up 18,000 cows, right? If they're going to, if you had three tree train, you know, you know, stuff about the train derailment in Palestine, right? Ohio. Do you know there's on average three train derailments a freaking day in the United States? If you doubt me, look it up. Three a day. They just usually don't result in giant fireballs and chemical disasters of biblical proportions. They're usually a little bit more civil, but we're having about three trains a day derail. Some of those carry food. So you have food production facilities. We're making enemies about many of our uh, key partners for import. We have competition from our adversaries for importation with China locking up certain grain inventories for a decade out now. Yeah, nobody tells you about that. I told you about it years ago. It's still going on. It didn't change. We haven't had a decade since I told you. If that's all going on, then we might want to see to our own needs with our food, at least to a degree. Food security being the first security, as I've always said. And it's one of those things that I know not everybody can do, but I think most people can do something. And if you're not going to grow your own food, then buy from people who do. Buy locally. Find sources, whether it's through farmers markets or what have you. You know, if you know someone that, that's a hell of a gardener, maybe you, you, you say, I'll buy a certain amount of your production every year. Start establishing these chains now because we're going to need it. We're going to need it. When you have the people that have the most power in the world and their plan is you're going to eat bugs. Then if you don't want to eat bugs, you might want to think about producing some of your own food. The biggest thing I could say about the whole food thing is it's something you can do. And I think in some ways it actually hurts people that they know they could do it because they have this fantasy. Well, if I ever need to, I can. But anybody who's ever started from zero with food production knows it doesn't work like that, does it? It it takes time. Go look at what the feed debt of your first egg is. You know, have you ever heard the term feed debt? So I got this little chicken. Was big that I got from a friend or a neighbor or a tractor supply store or something like that. And I had a little chicken and it's an egg maker. And he or she is going to, because if it's a he, I ain't never getting no eggs. So she's going to make me eggs. I pet the little chicken and she goes, peep, peep, peep. She's two days off. It will be about six months before an egg pops out of that butt. If the bird lives that long, if something doesn't go wrong, if a hawk doesn't eat it, it doesn't die as a disease. Since I'm new, I don't do something where it gets wet and it dies in the brooder. It's six months of feed. And then figure out how much you feed a chicken a day, multiply it by about 180 days. And that's the feed debt that that bird has before you get one egg. And and then, well, we can feed them things on our own property like our ancestors did and all. Yeah, but you're not your ancestors. You don't have any of that knowledge. You have to start somewhere. So we need to all be doing this and we all need to be on the path. 
long before it's necessary. So one, grow your own food. Number two, know some of you won't like this, don't care, it's the truth, and I'll always say it, be your own bank with Bitcoin. Be your own bank. Now, I think there is a misunderstanding of the phraseology of be your own bank. I think when people hear that, they immediately think about the bank account that they have and what does that bank do for them. It lets you write checks. It lets you get your direct deposit. If you somebody owes you money, they can send it to you. Eventually, it probably ends up in the bank. You can go to the bank for a loan. But you're thinking of the local branch that you have a bank account with or the online entity you have a bank account with. That's part of it, and it's an important part of it. But the bank you're really replacing is the central bank. You are taking over control in your world of where monetary creation and value comes from at the macro level. When you say, I'm just not even going to worry about this, everything I do is going to be denominated in dollars, there's a very small group of people that control the Federal Reserve that are your bank. No, Jack, my bank is the Navy Credit Union or you know, Summit Bank or, you know, Nations Bank. I don't think they exist anymore. Choice or whatever. No, your bank, the bank that issues and controls your monetary supply is the Federal Reserve. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. Everybody's bank is the Federal Reserve. Everybody's bank is the Federal Reserve. Or if you choose Bitcoin as a reserve asset, you become your own banker because no one's in charge of Bitcoin. No one makes a decision about Bitcoin individually. There's no group that can just change the monetary policy. So you want to be your own bank with Bitcoin. You want to at least have some reserve holdings in Bitcoin. I think everybody listening to me should make a goal at some point in their life to become a whole coiner. And that's going to get harder and harder as time goes on. We just had a year and a half of what I called the accumulation trough. I told you, many of you didn't listen to me. You said it was dead again. I sent you the Bitcoin obituaries. You still said it didn't matter. They're going to shut it down, blah, 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 blah. It's not going anywhere, guys. It is the reserve asset that the world is going to turn to in time. And in case I'm right, you might want to think about an allocation of about 5%, at least, into what you're doing for your own future. Number three, stay away from giant cities. Just just stay away from them. Just get out of them. Don't be there. And I, even in places that are more sane, stay away from giant cities. Texas is a lot more sane. If you live in Dallas proper, Houston proper, Austin proper, San Antonio proper, I don't know what you're doing. I don't, you, you have this incredible opportunity, this state with, even now, excellent real estate options. All kinds of choices that you could make. More freedom than most states have, to be to be honest, right? And you're going to live in Houston? Are you kidding me? I mean, you want, and of all of the cities in, in Texas, Houston and Dallas will go completely apeshit first. Stay away from the big cities. Now, I'm not saying don't visit, what have you. Just when you visit, make sure nothing else going crazy on. Make sure you have avenues of egress planned. I tell those people all the time, like, well, I'm going to go on vacation. Like, I, you know, I'm going to be going to, like, L.A., let's say. Uh, be careful. But if, if, but above all, sit down with Google Maps 
figure out all the places that you're going to be going and staying and plan ways that you would get out of there, at least three ways out for every place you plan to be. That's overkill. Not not when the Rodney King riots 2.0 hit. There wasn't like a, a memo that went out a week in advance. Hey, just to let you know, you have to have a plan if you have to be in these places to get out, but don't live in them. Don't live in these places. These are not the places that you need to be living. Do not build your life there. Again, I, I challenge you. Go to uhaul.com. Price a U-Haul truck. San Francisco or Los Angeles, take your pick, to Fort Worth, Texas. Price it that way and price it the other direction. And just then just look at the difference. And ask yourself what this tells you. Especially if you do L.A. to Fort Worth or Fort Worth to L.A. L.A.'s population has declined by a quarter million in the last year. A quarter million. I mean, L.A.'s a big place, but that's a city on – a quarter million people is a city onto itself. You'll see about a thousand to fifteen hundred dollar difference if you keep playing with those geographies, because they know when that truck goes from California to Texas, it's not coming back, or they're gonna have to pay somebody to get it, and that's why they'll give you a deal if you'll bring it back. This shit keeps up. They might say you need a truck to go to L.A. That's a give us a security deposit, and when you return it, if nobody kills you trying to return it, you can you can just have it for free and get your deposit back. I mean, that's how bad it could get, right? Um, stay away from the giant cities. I, I, I don't know what else to say other than that. Because this is going to get worse, and, and you know where the problems will be. We've already seen it. And you already know that the people that run those cities won't do anything to help you, but are plenty happy to do things to harm you. If you're in L.A. or San Fran right now and you got a homeless dude taking a dump on the stoop of your business, the cops won't do anything. But if you physically force that person off your property, they'll come arrest you for assault. Don't live in those places. Please stop it. Next, spend time sharing information and building a network. And I said on Noster, on Noster. And I would recommend that to you. But I don't care how you do it. We have great communities online where people can form relationships and then eventually maybe take those offline, do business with each other. So our Discord, Telegram, MeWe, Gab, whatever. I, whatever's left on Facebook, I don't look at it. Twitter, that's fine. But... You've got to be building a network right now. You've got, and, and you need to be doing it online and offline. And I don't mean just online that translates to offline. That's good. But you need to be building a network with your neighbors right now. Get out of the city. Get some neighbors to start building a network with. At least know their names. Have their phone numbers. Be in contact with them. I can't tell you how many people, you know, if you said, well, what's this guy's name next door? Maybe they know the last name because it's on the mailbox. But the guy lives right. They've never had a conversation with their neighbor. They become isolated from the people just adjacent to them on both sides. We can't do that anymore. We're going to need each other to get through this. And that means you're going to need people that you don't necessarily agree with 100% or even 50% of the time. But you can agree to commerce. Commerce is the great mediator of society. It makes people deal with each other because we none of us have everything that we want. And we have to get what we want by doing business with other people. So be building a network. Now, why Noster? 
Well, it's uncensorable. That's good. The, the people on Noster are first movers. That's something like if you want to know where the first movers with technology and thought, communication and economics are right now, they're all on Noster. Because it's brand new and therefore it will be inhabited by first movers. And of course, they're very Bitcoin centric. But We have the Grow Noster program specifically to broaden that. And guys, is it working? My feed on Noster is now full of non-Bitcoin content. And I love it. People doing businesses, people growing food, people with their dogs, having a cup of coffee in the morning, just random thoughts. It's great. It's great. But if you're going to build a network, might I suggest you build it in a place with intelligent people that have money, that have means, in a way that is uncensorable, with an integrated existing payment method into the network. That might be a good idea. I'm just saying, like, if you had a place where really smart people all got together and collaborated and focused on doing shit versus what everybody else is doing wrong. And if and if the people in that network in general had financial means and you had an integrated, uncensorable, uninterruptible, borderless payment method already ingrained into that network, that might be the one that you should check out. Just might be just saying. Like, hey, we want to do business. Okay, it's already there. Pay me and I'll send you the shit. Send me the shit and I'll pay you. Whatever. That might be the way that you want to go. So we definitely need to be building these parallel networks. To build a parallel economy, you need many parallel networks. So you need to be building your parallel network. Every time you expand your parallel network, it's got parallel networks that it integrates across. People think, let's say we have 10 people in a network. And we bring one person into that network, so we have 11, and we've grown by one. No, our connections have grown by 11. And then each person in that network of 11 people, right, has external networks that all tie back to the first network. So every time we add one, we have this force multiplier with network effect. So Noster to me is the place you should be doing this, but doing it somewhere. Build a business with multiple streams of income. Or if you want to call it build multiple businesses, I don't care. But we are at a point now where every family should have some form of income that's independent of employment. Whether that's one spouse or both of them working together or real estate, I don't care what it is. But you should have some income that is not dependent on the kindness of an employer and the benevolence of a bank. You should have some form of income that is yours and yours alone. That no matter what anybody does, it, it, it's 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 your. That doesn't mean you can't screw it up, but nobody can just call you up and say, "Hey, Lisa, you're fired." Hey, Joel, you're fired. Those are people in the live chat. For those that are not on the live chat, right? You're fired. You don't. You, you, we've got to get past this. We were a nation of entrepreneurs not that long ago. At the founding of this country, most people had multiple income streams, even if they had a job at a factory or something like that. They had other things that they did. You know, John Adams, yes, that John Adams, our founder, was a farmer. He was a farmer of, 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 of grain and pigs. John Adams himself mixed pig shit into compost. 
a man that would be our third president, one of the founders and framers of our Constitution, right? One of the one of the probably the biggest driving force uh, 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 that eventually got consensus and agreement on the Declaration of Independence mixed pig shit into compost. So it's not beneath us to get our hands dirty in some way, to have some skill set that we're able to use, some way that we stack our efforts and create a residual income some way. Because what most people think is, well, I'll spend my whole life working and then I'll retire and I'll live off essentially a residual income in a drawdown scenario where the battery hopefully doesn't get to zero before I get to zero. If I die the day I spend my last dollar, I've done it perfect. That's how people actually think. They don't say it that way, but that's if you look at the way a financial advisor works today, that's their goal. I'll save you enough money. We'll come up with a withdrawal schedule and plan, and that we don't want you to outlive your money. They actually say that last part verbatim. We want to make sure you don't outlive your money. And the whole idea of this is predicated upon, one, you don't get fired. You do save enough money. The cost of living doesn't go up so much that you can't afford it. And, you know, some portion of it's going to be in Social Security that you also assume will be there. You can't assume any of this anymore. We are we are at again, I keep calling it this, but it's the edge of empire. And I mean, the temporal edge of empire, not the geographic edge of empire. We're at the end of this and we don't know exactly what it looks like. And we should assume that it looks as bad as possible. We should plan for the worst and be happy for anything that's better. And an income is going to be one part of that. Homeschool your kids. Homeschool your freaking kids. I'm at a point now, I've always tried to be soft on this because I know how overwhelming it can seem. And I know you can look at me and go, Jack, you and your wife work from home. You have complete freedom. And of course, you can homeschool your grandkids. If your children had to do it without you, they wouldn't be able to do it. I don't know what they would be able to do. But I believe they would be able to do something. And I believe that you have to start looking at it from the standpoint of instead of telling me you can't do it, start asking yourself how you can. That's the first step in anything. I don't care what it is that you think that you can't do. The first step is always you asking yourself, how can I? And to stop using the words orally or even mentally, I can't because, or the reason I won't is, or I can't do that because this thing, whatever it is, like that negative side has to go away. I don't care how real you believe it to be. Because you will never find the way around the problem by constantly stating the problem. Problems are great in that we once we define the problem, then we can define a solution. Once that problem's defined, let's start working on a solution. That was the formula for today's show. I started out with the problem. We're all solution now. And if you think about how many shows I do that are like that, we lead with the problem and then we spend 75, 80 percent of the time on the solution to the problem. So the problem is the government school system is an abject failure. Okay, that's the problem. You can talk about, you know, tranny drag shows or whatever. I what I don't know. But beyond all of the latest shit that people are pissed off about, the Global or the, the, the national school system in America is a failure.
It is failing to teach children the most concrete things that they should know how to do to understand their world. It has become nothing but a dollar, you know, a dollar grab. Basically, each kid in every desk is a dollar symbol over their head, and every administrator in the system manages the system that way. They don't manage it for the good of the children. And I'm not saying that all these people are bastards or anything like that, and they don't care about kids. But I'm saying when it comes down to the decisions that they're made, the actual choices that are made, it's all based on money. And they're in a position where there's not much else they can do. I mean, just look at the growth of administrators in everything, but especially education. Education and medicine are the most telling. The administrator growth is off the chart. For what purpose? To manage money. Why? Because the kids are money. So you have a failed system failing your child actively right now. That's the problem. All the other stuff, it's just heaping on top of the problem. It's there's this bloated, rotted, dying corpse on the road, and things like the tranny drag shows is just somebody put a pile of horse shit on top of it, made it worse. The rotting corpse is still the problem, and education is a rotting corpse. It's not going to be fixed. It's not going to get any better. They will continue. They will take front end loaders, six cubic yard front end loaders of shit and dump it on there and tell you you have to take it and that you'll like it and that you'll do as you're told. And I don't care who's your governor. And I don't care who you have on your school board. The underlying system is rotted and contaminated and dying and disgusting. And you do not want your kids to be part of it. Children come out of school they can't work a freaking adjustable wrench or a pair of pliers. They come out of school, they can't use a can opener. They don't understand the most basic economic realities that there are. They know nothing. They know nothing. They can answer some questions right on some tests or whatever. Maybe they have basic reading and writing capability, but they know nothing. This will be your child if you don't do something about it. Get them out. The left has been very good at playing the long game. And that's why the left put probably half of their total effort, like in all things, half of their effort in the last hundred years has been completely taking over and dominating the academic space. And I, I challenge anybody to prove that wrong. So ask yourself, why would they do that? Because if you take over the academic space, K through university, for a few generations, you end up controlling everything because you're shaping the mind of every individual that comes through the system. And remember, you don't have to have a 100% hit rate. If you can make 50% of people that come out the other side of it think like you, 20% just say, screw it, I'm not involved, and 30% oppose you, you win. And that's what they're doing. And if we want to win in the long game of seven generational thinking, we have to start reversing that trend right now. Because if you send your kids to public school today, they are going to learn to hate you. They're going to learn to hate you. You will eventually have the experience that so many parents do. You'll be paying a great big bill for college tuition on top of the fact that they're taking debt on. And the first time they come home in their freshman year, they're going to tell you how stupid you are, how wrong you are, how horrible you are, and all about your privilege. It's going to happen. So it just needs to stop. And the only way it stops is you stop it. We do not need people to have a special certificate from the state 
to teach kindergartners to read C spot run. We don't. It's not that hard. There's a lot of tools available if you have to work with other people, but you have to start treating those schools like it's a building that's on fire and your kids in there. And most of you, if that was going on and the fire department was standing there looking at it like the Uvalde cops during a shooting. And they said, you can't go in there. You, you, whatever you had to do, if you had to drive your car over the guy telling you, you can't go in there, you'd throw a wet blanket on your head. You'd go through the door, you choke on a smoke and you, you die trying or you get your kid and hopefully somebody else's while you could and you drag them out of there. And you wouldn't be like, well, I can't because I'll lose my job. Because you'd understand what's at stake. The future of our world and the future of your child is at stake. It is that bad. And it is going to be worse. And the younger your kid is, the worse this is. Because it's in a decline. And it is in a continuous, never-ending, forever decline until it's dead. This is a death cycle of this system. Get away from it and get your kids away from it. I hate to be so hard on you, but it's true. Number seven, I said, print your own guns and learn to reload. Um, I don't think necessarily printing your own guns in of itself is that important, but the knowledge and the skill set of how to use a 3D printer, I think is incredibly empowering. And knowing that you could if you needed to. To start understanding that the means by which to defeat the system is not to take it over, but to render it obsolete. So if we get into a, 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 a system in society to the point where when somebody says, we're just going to say you can't have this, and you go, printer go burr. Yeah? There's an incredibly empowering thing to that. I think reloading ammunition is another thing like that. And, and I, I want this one to be more symbolic because the rest of these are pretty specifically with intent. I want this one to be more symbolic. I'm trying to think of like, the thing that you really think you have to rely on a third party for and realize maybe not, maybe not. You need to realize that whatever we need, we can create for ourselves. Back to um, Bitcoin, point two, be your own bank with Bitcoin. What I love about Bitcoin more than I love any other thing about Bitcoin is what it did. So I want you to take you back in time. The year is going to be 2005. Bitcoin is not a gleam in Satoshi Nakamoto's eye yet. Yeah. And I say to you, we don't need the government's money anymore. Say, so, okay, what do we use? Gold, silver, what? Yeah, no, 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 gold, no silver. Uh, those are archaic forms of money that we can't transact between nations let alone across the country without a mail service. We need a way that we can transfer money to each other almost instantaneously using computers, but the state has to be out of it. Okay, so the banks, no, the banks actually already do it. The states are the, the states protect the bank. The states don't really do this already. It's really the banks. We need to create a form of money for ourselves that we control that's uncensorable and unalterable in economic policy. Well, you would have said we can't do it. Like what we need to do is we need to get the government like that's going to happen to realize this mistake. Yeah, like that's going to happen and create an honest form of money. But only the government can create money. And I would I would submit to you that in 2005. If you if you ruled out commodities like silver and gold that were rocks, you could dig out of the ground. And you said and 
electronically transferable currency, not using a third party, can that be created in a way that will work, that will function, that won't be immediately just shut down and destroyed, that can't be manipulated, that can't be attacked, that can't be made to go away, that can't be censored, that can't be altered without government involvement? 99% of people would have said, you cannot do that. I would say 99% of people capable of understanding the question, because there's probably about half of the people so dumbed down by everything we've been talking about up till now, that wouldn't even understand the question. Like, I mean, if you sit down and spend a day with them, maybe they would get to where they understand the question, and then they would answer it with a negative. Well, okay, now that I understand, we need government for that. And what Bitcoin showed is that we could create a monetary system independent of government that had governance, anarchy. That's what Bitcoin is. Bitcoin is the ultimate expression of anarchy because it is not without rules. It is ruled by mathematics. It is ruled by people doing what benefits them individually the most. And it has very clear rules, but no one's in charge. It's exactly what anarchy looks like. Well, when I talk about printing your own guns, reloading your ammunition, I'm talking about taking that at a different level into your life to realize there's so many things that we think we need somebody else for. You know, one of the things I 3D printed recently, I needed a fitting for half-inch PVC that was an odd shape. So even me was able to get a design off Thingverse and alter it a little bit to make it do what I wanted it to do. That's a thing that you would I either have to adapt to what's available or even if it was something like off the shelf part, if I don't have it, I got to go to the store. The fact that I can like take a piece of information in code, put it on a, a little card, stick that card in my printer and hit print. And, and I might have to wait an hour or three or four or a day but it'll be made for me. And we need to start thinking about that in all things. How many things do we think we need the state for that we can actually do ourselves as individuals or ourselves as community? And we'll just explain that in the most forward way possible with print your own guns and reload your own ammunition. Next, um, get good daily exercise. If you want to be the dude that lifts weights and it's all, all ripped when you're 60, you know, like Mark Sesson or something, go ahead. If you don't want to do that, then don't. I, I, I find that so many people, they get into a certain way of doing things, and then everybody has to do it their way or they're wrong. I think that's insane. There's a lot of ways to be physically active. I get physically active because I go out and work on my property every single day as soon as I get done doing this because I look forward to it. I take walks. We go on hikes, etc. I don't do a lot of weightlifting. Right. I do a lot of heavy bag work, though, you know, whatever it is for you. But you need to be physically getting some exercise. And I'm OK with it just being walking. As long as it's enough to actually matter. So walking does not mean that you get up a few times a day and go to the bathroom and take a dump and it's a long hallway. That does not mean walking. Walking is several miles, several miles, uninterrupted, continuous walking. And it doesn't have to be every day, something in between the days. But you need to be doing something meaningful physically every day. 
something that at least accelerates your heart rate, makes you sweat, ha- creates some level of fatigue in you, causes you to twist and bend in ways that normally you wouldn't, because this is how our ancestors lived. We didn't live in chairs with nice back support, you know, that rocked back and forth. And we didn't live in cubicles and we didn't live at desks. And we didn't spend all our time doing typing or whatever. We didn't do our entire life standing on a, an assembly line, bolting four bolts on a car or whatever it is. This is not normal. So it's not just physical, though physical is a big part of it. It's mental as well. People that don't get sufficient physical activity in general would be defined as clinically depressed across time. You can say you're not, but the law of numbers shows it's true. In fact, the less physical activity a person has in their life, the more likely they are to be depressed. And I think this is a big part of something people have been talking about a lot lately. So there's been recently some press on this that they've asked um, psychologists If you break down your customers, right, into conservative and liberal, which group is more likely to have a mental illness, a diagnosed full-on mental illness? And it's like three to one liberals over conservatives, three to one. And a lot of people have made a lot of it being the political ideology itself. Since conservatives have hope for the future, they're less likely to be depressed. And since liberals think everything's terrible, they're more likely to be depressed. I think there's something to that, but I I don't think it's that simple. I think that it would be really interesting to get that cross-section and then say, of these people, how many of them have jobs that require some level of physical effort? And I think you would find that the more physical effort your job has in it, the less likely you are to be depressed. And then you'd find this kind of middle group of people that are not depressed, they don't have any mental illnesses, and they have like an office job or something, but you're going to find those people are physically active. Because it makes sense, doesn't it? That we're supposed to be physically active? Do you think you have 10 fingers and 10 toes to sit still and not move? What is the biggest muscle in the human body? Not the strongest by, you know, for the weight or anything. What is the largest muscle in the human body? The answer, the gluteus maximus, right? That's the biggest, that's what I call the maximus. You know what the main purpose of that thing is? It's not to sit on it. It's to propel your ass on two feet as the bipedal organism that you are going from one place to another. Of all the muscle that you could naturally have, the vast majority of that muscle is, and it's, it's if you think about it, It's your legs. Like the muscle group is your legs. Anybody's ever butchered a deer or a cow or something knows that like you get almost as much meat from the butt to the back feet as you do the whole rest of the animal. And with a deer, those, 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 what we call arms, those are for walking too. I I wonder what it would be like if you, I I shouldn't say this. Somebody will make some bullshit out of it. But like if you actually figured out what is the the weight, where would the weight and muscle come from on a human being? What percentage would be the buttocks to the feet versus the waist to the head? Not of total muscular, structural organs, all that. Just the meat that does the work, the actual muscle. 
And I bet it's it's probably something like 70-30 or something like that. Meaning that you're supposed to use this shit, guys. Get up, get up and get busy. Get up and move that body. Get up, people. Now get down, do it. Get up and move that body. Yeah, do it, right? Not everything that comes out of pop music is stupid. That was a pretty stupid song, but that message is pretty damn good. Get up and use what you have or it will atrophy. And you will be clinically depressed. Get up and get some exercise daily. Next, you can do what you want with this one. You can alter it to suit you. I am not a purist in anything. But I would say eat meat and veggies and skip the starches and carbs. If you want to translate that to eat a well-planned, good diet that's healthy for you, avoiding processed foods, I'll, I'll, I'll get out of your way. I, I'm, not author, I'm not an authoritarian, right? I think the easy answer, I think the simple solution is vegetables and meat and fat. I think I am proof, and I think there's, there's millions of people at this point that are proof that this works. But, I, you know, I've had people debate me and like the average vegan is more healthy than the average person in America. Uh, maybe. But overall, I would tend to agree. And I think that the average person who has an intentional diet at all is probably healthier than the person that eats mindlessly. So I don't think that's a big thing. But I think the average person who lives a true keto or carnivore lifestyle is way healthier than just about any other diet out there. Period. But one way or another, you got to stop eating the garbage. This food is garbage. It's got folks. It's garbage. It is poison. It is industrial toxins. If nothing else, get the highly processed food and seed oils out of your life. And if you could at least take grain with it, I would I'll tell you, you'll be healthier. You can eat way more carbs than I ever would, and you can still be healthier if you got rid of all the grain, all the seed oils, and all the processed food. So go ahead, eat your potatoes, eat your carrots, whatever. Fine. Get rid of the grains. Get rid of stuff that comes in the bag. If you have, if it has a list of ingredients beyond herbs and spices or seasonings, it's probably not something you should be eating. And again, I want to go back to my little experiment that I did in, in Target, right? And again, an upscale, affluent Target, right? This was people that you could tell, the people walking around in this place were not hurting for money. These are upper level folks in a, in a very affluent part of Fort Worth again. And you just look and you go, not healthy, 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 not healthy. You, and if you think that's bad, I challenge you, go to a Walmart right after the 1st or the 15th when everybody gets their government checks and you walk around there and I don't care how healthy you are and how well you take care of you, you feel depressed because you look at how sick people are. You can look at people and go, oh my God, and then look in their cart and they're buying tasty cakes and ho-hos and ding-dongs and freaking high C and then they got a little kid sitting in the car. He barely fits his stubby little legs through the holes in the cart because the kid is fat and the kid's 18 months old. And you look at that kid and you go, this kid has no chance. He has no hope. I know you felt that way, some of you. You look at parents and the parents are fat and the kids are already pudgy and they're little. And you think, these kids, they don't have a chance. And they don't. Unless as they age, they choose to change. 
or their parents change and they witness their parents changing. And you guys with kids, you take care of yourself physically and you let your kids have all the garbage. Stop it. Just stop it. If you want to say, hey, they're kids, they can have a candy bar once in a while, then you need to you need to teach them the discipline that they're going to need to have when you're not there. Then it needs to be like, OK, you get a candy bar a week. You know, like one of my best friends, dude named David. I don't know if his kid's still listening. His kid's like 17 now. When I met him, his kid was like 13. Um, but he had like an annual, two annual drops of Pop-Tarts. That's the kid's vice. He likes Pop-Tarts different varieties or whatever. So like twice a year, he'd get a certain number of boxes of Pop-Tarts. And if you want to eat them all one day, go ahead. But when they're gone, they're gone. And like he had like this whole system. And I remember Dave saying, if like he really likes you, he'll give you one. And like he'll open the pack and there's two to a pack. He'll take one out and give it to you and wrap it back up. Like at least that kid's learning some level of discipline by having a limited supply of something instead of an unlimited supply of something. But you don't need to be feeding these kids all this garbage food, folks. They'll be okay without it. And the less they know about it, the more that will be the case. You know, Ken Berry said, I think he said his, his youngest kid, his first meal, like his first solid food was like a, like a, a braised beef rib. It's bone and all, it's like slathered. Because it's real food. So I don't want to beat you up and say you have to take on my methodology or my diet. But processed food, got to go. Seed oils. I mean, if you just, I know that some of you roll your eyes when I say, like, canola oil is a toxin. If you go look at what is done to make basically a wild mustard plant produce a gallon of oil for you and the process by which that is done. There is no place that a rational human being can say that makes sense biologically and chemically for humans to eat. It is absolute fucking garbage and it doesn't belong in your body. and It doesn't belong in your kid's body. Get it out. Soybean oil out. All of it. All of it. You want it. Fat comes from animals and it comes from a very limited number of vegetative sources. Coconut oil to me, that's fine. It's a pure fat. There's not a lot done with it. There's not a lot of processing. Olive oil, if it actually came from a freaking olive, because you can't believe it, it's because a bottle says olive oil on it. Certain nut oils and stuff like that, avocado oil, etc. These things can be used, but I, honest to God, I do almost all of my cooking when it comes to fat. Leftover bacon fat, lard, uh, Wagyu tallow, beef tallow, butter, ghee. That's it. Somebody asked me to do a... Uh, episode on cooking with, you know, different fats and all. I use them all the same. It's just, what do I want? A flavor profile. If I want it neutral, you know, maybe I'll use avocado oil and something I want more of a neutral flavor too, or beef tallow. If I want something more of a neutral, if I want that smokiness, I'll use leftover bacon fat, chicken fat. We save that sometimes uh, duck fat. We always save that. This is real stuff. This is what people are supposed to eat. Just ask yourself, 150, 200 years ago, how would I have gotten this thing I'm going to eat? And if the answer is I wouldn't have because 200 years ago you couldn't do this, then it's not ancestrally appropriate food. I hope that makes sense. You know, if you can get oil from something by pressing it, they could do that 200 years ago. If you can get oil from something simply by rendering it like fat out of meat, they could do that 200 years ago. 
if you wanted oil from cottonseed 200 years ago, somebody would have asked you why. And when you told them, they would have thrown you off a cliff because they would have said, that's poison, stupid. Don't do that to people. Next up. And my last one for this repeat daily. Now you're not going to repeat all previous nine things daily, but what I'm trying to drive home here is the value of consistently doing the right things across time. You know, I teach economics to people this way, home economics, personal economics. You buy the best you can based on the total cost across time. And I always use a garden hose for this. And what I'll, I'll explain is like, so I can go out and buy a shitty garden hose for let's say 25 bucks. Or I can go out and buy the best garden hose I can get in the same length for let's say 60 bucks. And if that one I paid 60 bucks lasts me 10 years or more, then it was $6 a year for 10 years. And if my $25 hose, if I'm throwing it away in the second year because it's complete garbage and I'm tired of it and I had two years of miserable performance on top of it, then it's, you know, if it was 25 bucks, it's twelve fifty a year. It's more than double the cost of a more expensive one. And what you get when you tell people that, you get eyes rolling and shit like that, and they say, you're going to put stuff in a spreadsheet to make a decision about a garden house. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. And that's why I have whatever I want in my life today, because of a lifetime of that type of decision making. What's the consistency across time? It made me think of it as I was telling that story about I was watching some daytime talk show type shit. My wife was watching one time when I worked from home and she didn't have a job. And I came out and, you know, for lunch and she's watching. So I sit down and watch it with her. And it was like a millionaire next door type episode. I think it was Oprah. It could have been Dr. Phil. I don't know. But this guy's sitting up on a stage and he's explaining, he's like the classic millionaire next door, his net worth. And they had, you know, made sure that it was true. He wasn't lying with something like 4.1 million. And he was a guy he worked for, he was like an engineer or something like that. He wasn't like some guy that worked on Wall Street or something like that. He had a, a good salary, but not like a doctor's salary or something. And he had just been consistent with his decisions across his whole life. And he was saying how, you know, pretty much, once a week or every other week, we have things that we need. We buy from Costco, right? We buy from Costco because it's better, a better price for what you get. And so I plan my trips to Costco and I eat, I eat, whenever I go to Costco, I eat lunch. Now I'm not advising this guy's diet. Okay. But what he was pointing out is I get a drink and this giant hot dog with all the fixings I want it for a dollar 99. And that's what I eat for lunch. Right now, again, I, I advise you not to eat that thing. It's probably not good for you. But he was making a point about it, making a decision consciously. And one of these women that looks like she l- probably lived on Franzia Chardonnay box wine. Could see she's indignant by this, right? And the host picks up on it and goes to the audience for questions and straight to her. And she says, there is no way that I would eat my lunch Costco. And the guy just goes, that's why you're there and I'm here. Consistently making a decision for an intent across time. And so with this list about repeat it daily, always be doing the right things. When you get your kid out of school, that's only one step. Make sure you're expanding their education beyond what they would get in school or what's the point. Make them stretch. Make them do more than the minimum. 
even if they choose what the more is, the fact that there is more. You know, my son, we didn't homeschool. I didn't know what I know now. If I did, I definitely would have. But we had things like, okay, you're going to have an extracurricular activity. Well, I don't want to do anything. Okay, we'll do something or we'll pick one. And, you know, for him being basketball. That's what he liked. Okay, you want to play basketball, get on a team. You have something outside of school, something outside the house, something outside your little tiny network of friends, something to expect, something. Do something. And had he not picked something, we would have given him something until he picked something. But he's going to do something. And, and that's the approach I'm trying to take with homeschool now. Like, hey, I need you to learn an extra thing this week. What? Don't care. But you better by the end of the week be able to tell me something you didn't know at the beginning of the week that I can verify that you're right about. Don't care what it is. It's actually not a hard assignment for a kid. Once they snap to, wait a minute, like my grandson's into big cats and stuff. Like, I'm into big cats right now. I'll go learn something about leopards or some shit like that. Okay, fine. I don't care. You learn something. Right? And you, so you want to be pushing that. And then you push that in yourself. Did you learn something today? Did you expand your knowledge and therefore your experience to knowledge ratio today? Did you accomplish something? Do you have, are you living a task-driven life? If it's Nicole Sauce's My Three Things and every day you have three things and those three things shall be done, you might do more, but those three things shall be done fine. If you're living on a weekly plan, a monthly plan, a quarterly, I don't care what, but you're living your life with intention. That's what I mean by repeat daily. Why are you doing what you're doing? I'm homesteading, Jack, because you said so. I hope it's more than that. I hope you see the results benefiting you long term so that you're designing the system to benefit you long term. So it's not always a thousand hours of input for an hour of output. You want that ratio to flip in the first year or two to the point where it's a small amount in and a lot out where you're doing it wrong. You designed it wrong. and You have to fix it. But living your life with intent, that's repeating daily. That's taking some part of growing your own food or at least procuring it locally. Thinking about what you eat, managing your finances, being your own bank, growing your alternative networks. Like I, used to, I said, it used to be you didn't have to go out and intentionally grow an alternative network. You went out and functioned as a human, and we had all these local networks that naturally formed around us. Where did they all go? They were designed out of our lives. And, and it, that's what I want to finish with. Please understand that. All the things we're trying to do consciously used to be just a default not that long ago in society. Your grandparents had networks. They might not have had a Rolodex sitting on their desk unless they were in sales or something, but they essentially did have a Rolodex. They had a book somewhere with everybody's name in it, and then they knew who to call when they needed a thing, and they knew if they didn't know who to call, who to call that would know somebody. The parent and the grandparent Internet of the 1980s rivaled anything we have today. If you grew up in a small town, you know what I'm talking about. You're completely on the other side of the town with your bike, doing shit with your buddies you weren't supposed to do. One person saw you, and you knew your ass was in trouble when you got home. How did that happen? Do you think our grandparents got to go say, you know what? These kids are going to be a handful in the 80s. We need to form a parallel economy and a parallel network so we can all tell. No, they just naturally occurred. What happened? Where did it go? Where did it go? It didn't accidentally go away. It wasn't unintentional. 
everything you're seeing is the result of conscious, intentional manipulation of society and designed by the oligarchs to control society, to push people into high-density populations that don't know each other. They talk about all these neighborhoods and how good it would be and blah, 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 blah. But they don't want anybody to know anybody. They don't want anybody talking to anybody. Why do you think they loved COVID so much? Don't talk to your neighbors. That's dangerous. If you do, make sure you put a mask on so you sound like a, the teacher on Peanuts. Right? Oh, stay six feet apart. Why do you think they loved it so much? And why do you think so many of the mid-level people that are not part of the plan loved it so much? Because they've been conditioned themselves for decades now to think this way. That's why they all latched onto it. That's why you had mayors coming out and talking like they were freaking Hitler. What's her name? Lightfoot in Chicago. She's finally gone. The person replaced her ain't no better. Like, we will pull you out of the water. She's talking about people swimming in one of the Great Lakes. Like, risking that's probably not. Yeah, I wouldn't worry about COVID. I'd worry about PCBs and shit. But, yeah, we'll pull you out of the water. We'll throw you in jail. Like, talking like she's freaking Hitler. Like, she's running the country. You're a mayor of a city. Sit down and shut up. And then people took her seriously because we've been conditioned this way. This is all by intent. And if it's all by intent... And it's all easy to understand than it is. It's far easier to understand than people want to admit. But I have a question for you. If not now, when? And if not you, then who? Are you going to submit to the plan? Because we know what the plan is. The plan is we push everybody close together in high-density settlements. We ration everything. We give everybody some free monies. We call it UBI, but their life doesn't actually get any better. The cost of everything goes through the roof. We create a central bank digital currency. We decide what you can spend, who you can spend it with, when you can spend it, and why you get to spend it, and how much you get to spend. We put an expiration date on some of it. Stuff we give you every month, you get two months to spend it or you don't need it. It'll dissolve and go to somebody who needs it more than you. That's the plan. We get rid of the last of natural foods. The most natural of all foods that we eat commonly in the world today is beef. It's the best analog to big game animals that we used to hunt. To the wild rams, to the deer, to the elk, to the buffalo. The best analog we have in a domestic animal is beef. And I would say lamb as well, things like that. But our ruminants, they don't want you eating that. They want you eating cricket powder. Are you going to submit to the plan? Are you going to be willing to own nothing and be happy? Do you want a little apartment in a 20-story building that you never leave? Do you want to live in the line in Saudi Arabia? In the line. Look it up if you don't know what it is. The line. A city that's like 27 miles long and only a couple hundred feet across. Do you want to live in that? In the middle of the desert? One way in and out? Train goes up and down the middle of it. You want to live in that? That's the plan. You want to live in a 15-minute city? I mean, I know on some level the idea of living somewhere and being able to walk everywhere you go and all like small-town America was or whatever sounds pretty appealing. But you notice that's not what they want. They're not they, – you don't have anybody coming out and go, you know what? It was a better way to live, small-town America. Why don't we rebuild small-town America? Why don't we build little squares and a – housing around there and everything's walkable or at least then we could have really inexpensive transportation 
to like get in and out of downtown, just a couple lines of automated trains that would be cheap to run and maintain. Cause all they would do is just bridge that gap between the outer ring and the inner ring. Like maybe we could, we could no, 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 no. We need a 197 story building. That's a city inside a skyscraper. We need to do vertical farming and grow our, all our food indoors. The hell with that healthy outside air. No, we don't need that. Eating the very food that caused humans to evolve into our current form? Nah, screw that. We'll eat seed oils and educate your children in a factory environment that's closer to a prison than what an education should be. That's what we're going to do. If not now, when? If not you, who? I've said it a bunch recently. I know none of you asked to be born when you were. I know none of you asked to be in this place in this time. I know none of you asked to be in Act 4 of the Fourth Turnings. I know none of you asked to live at a time when we're actually talking openly about nuclear war again, because many of you, like me, grew up scared of that shit, hiding under your desk during a drill and realizing how stupid that was while you were doing it and talking to each other and laughing and having a teacher try to tell you to take it seriously because it could save your life. And you knew they knew they were full of shit. And yet here we are talking about it again. We thought we got. No, we're talking. I know none of you asked for this. What are you going to do? Quit? You either quit or go along or rebel. I think that if you follow your true innate humanity, you will become so free that your very existence is an act of rebellion. And that should be your goal. That should be all of our goals. To just say no. The one thing I got out of the 1980s from Reagan's war on drugs, just say no. That has very little to do with drugs. Just say no. There's a lot of power in just saying no. Well, you're going to own nothing. No, you're going to be happy. Well, yes, I am. But no, not your way. You will eat the bugs. No, I will not eat the bugs. No, I will not eat the bugs. You will eat more vegetables. No, I'm going to eat more cows. If I have to raise my own cow to eat cow, I'll raise my own cow. If I have to shoot my own cow in the head with a 3006 that I 3D printed, I will shoot my own cow in the head. If I have to fabricate a freaking knife out of freaking obsidian to skin the cow, I will do that before I will let you tell me what I can and cannot eat. No. No. You don't get to decide. You can talk all the shit you want. You can get 90% of humanity to follow along with you and march into your cities. Good. Then you won't be in my way here. Go screw. You're... Liberty should be so extreme that you walk as an act of rebellion. Anything less, you're wasting your dash. I got a few stuff things start here. I don't know what they really are because I would just anything with all caps I hit star on. Uh, GMA Merkel says 35,000 a day prescribed antidepressants. You will see serious crazy when they run dry. I'm not sure. Sure, you have to wait for them to run dry. Um, but they could. That's actually a good point that in some of these supply chain disruptions, there's a lot of people that they, they would fully be better off getting off these drugs. But cold turkey may not be the best way for a lot of this to go. And there's definitely a higher prevalence of mental illness in the regular world today than there was even 10 years ago. 
and I've seen it. And I don't just mean the whole transsexual LGBTQ plus blah, blah, blah shit. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about you just you're at a grocery store or something and somebody's checking out and you can't get rid of them. And you finally do. And and you just go, this person's mentally ill. Like this person, like they might might or might not be harmless, but they're clearly mentally ill. Saw one of those this weekend at that particular target. And I said to my wife, I said, she's mentally ill. And my wife goes, yeah, she was. I, I don't stand in line unless I have to. I kind of stand on the other side and I wait for my wife to get through the line. Yeah, I'm that guy. I'm sorry. And I said, well, that was awful. And she thought I was talking about the conversation she had with the lady at the register, which I got little bits of it. And I didn't think it was awful at all. Uh, no, I said, no, the, the one in front of you had to get rid of. I said she was. And my wife immediately goes, oh, yeah, she was mentally ill. Like there's just more of that now than there's ever been. And so we have to be careful with what happens when all of those people are disconnected from their supply lines. Uh, Giuseppe says the real world can and will suck at times. I agree. Um, I agree. Jima uh, Merkel again says they drug kids for being kids. That's exactly what they're doing. So I want you to think about this. This is another impetus to get your kids out of the school system. I don't care that you'll be like, you're not giving my kids drugs for being a kid. Okay. You're still sending them to an institution that wants to give them drugs for being a kid because the teacher just wants Johnny to sit down and shut up. And they don't care what damage that has long term. This is something that doesn't get talked about enough with the drugging of the kids in schools. Do you know one of the reasons that we have such a shortfall in military recruiting, in addition to trying to start World War III, so many kids being fat and out of shape and being clinically depressed, et cetera, right? One of the other aggravating factors in the low recruitment numbers is a lot of these drugs that they give these kids, if you have been on them as a kid, even if you're not on them anymore, you are ineligible to enlist. So the drugs they're saying help your kid think better and focus better and make them a better student are so bad that if you've given them to your kid, they can't get into the military. Now, I couldn't recommend that you join the military today, and I've talked about this before. It breaks my heart to say that, but I I can't. I just can't in good conscience recommend it. But I don't get to make a decision for my grandson. And so if, if he was my son instead of my grandson and I put him on this medication, I would be destroying that one option in his life. And no matter how much I'm opposed to it, I'm not about destroying opportunities if they're seen that way by my children or grandchildren in their future before they're adults. I think I would be wrong. So just think about how, how messed up these drugs are. If the military says, we don't want you if you've taken that drug. And again, I haven't taken it for five years. Yeah, but you were prescribed it. You were on it. Yeah, you're out. Sorry. And that's because they know you are a higher suicide risk. You're a higher flight risk. You're a higher risk in so many, so many ways that they've just, this is not a emotional decision. The military has been making some lately, but in general, their larger decisions are not emotionally driven. They're mathematically driven. You know, the weights they say that are healthy for soldiers. You know what that's really about? I have to move a half a million people. If I cut everybody's weight by 15 pounds, I can move you a lot faster and a lot cheaper. And it's easier to feed you. Just saying. 
Uh, they drug kids for being tri- kids. That is that is absolutely the case. John Hendricks says, growing up next to the tracks, I've seen three derailments just going to school. Yeah. You know, and this is the thing. I don't think that used to be the case. I don't think the three derailments a day in the United States is just more obvious now because we have more reporting in the Internet and all. I grew up in a place where there were trains everywhere. Not Florida when I was younger, but when I when I grew up in my high school years in, in central Pennsylvania, uh, it was coal country and there were trains like all the time, all the time. There were tracks. I, I can't think of a place that we used to go that you, you know, like would like hang out in the woods or something as kids. You didn't walk across tracks to get there. There were active tracks. There, I mean, never heard of, never saw a derailment in the 1980s. I'm sure some happened, but I bet it wasn't three a day. One of y'all might want to look into that. But it, and, and again, I don't think that necessarily is sabotage, though I think there is some sabotage going on, and there's some proof of it. And some of it's by environmental wackos. But there's a lot of derailments that are just failing infrastructure. And I think, again, we're looking at what does the end of an empire, what does the edge of empire from a temporal standpoint look like? Kevin says, what is your chicken and duck feed recipe? Well, this one comes, oh, an FAQ on TSP, this would be one of them. I don't have a recipe for chicken and duck feed. I do feed them a lot of stuff like Azola and water hyacinth and and things like that, snails out of my aquatic system. Sometimes I'll hear a bowl and I'll put a couple algae tablets in it and I'll set that in there. And then like the next day there's like a bowl full of snails and that's like a treat for the ducks. Uh, so I do like some of those adjuncts. And stuff. when it comes to their base diet of what I feed them, I feed them a feed that I get from a place called Pony Seed and Feed. It's non-GMO, non-soy, no corn. And it's primarily, it's base of ingredients is sorghum, and peanut meal. And it's not perfect, but it's to me, it's better than most of what I could get that's certified organic. Cause if it's certified organic full of soy, I would rather feed this. So that's what I feed them, but it's not my recipe. It's you would want to find a feed meal or a feed supplier and say, if you wanted to replicate what I'm doing, you're looking for feed. It's no corn, no soy, no GMO. And you're probably going to end up peanut sorghum based. Because of the common commodities that are left, that's what's available. Uh, Anarchy says, Jack, are you still a fan of the fold card? They've been making some changes. Not sure I like them. I'm not a huge fan of some of the changes they've made, but it's still a great deal. I love the fold card. Um, I pay all my really big monthly recurring bills with the fold card. Do I get as many sats now as I did five months ago? No. Do I get sats I wouldn't have otherwise? Yes. Have I found a better sats back type of payment. No. Now, if somebody wants to show me one, then we can talk about it. But I have not found a better one. So uh, I also understand, like, this is something people need to understand. People need to understand this whole thing with, like, well, they changed it. If they don't make money, they go away, and you don't have them anymore. So Fold is making approximately 1.5% per transaction. That's what any payment processor type entity makes so they can't pay out more than that or they're at running a net loss well they did in the past well maybe they calculatedly ran a net loss for a time to build up a customer base many companies do that so uh space whiskey says become a coin what 
And I said a whole coiner, a whole coiner. That means you own at least one full Bitcoin. It's a noble goal. And I've had people, I can't afford to buy Bitcoin. It's too expensive. What are you talking about? You can buy five bucks worth on Strike or Cash App or something like that. You buy five bucks worth at a time. Don't tell me you can't afford it. It's, it's nonsense. But I, I didn't realize until not so long ago that some people actually thought that, that you had to buy a whole Bitcoin to buy Bitcoin. No, it's not how it works. Uh, John Hendricks says, staying busy keeps happy. I love all the projects you talk about, and I try to attempt them. Biochar, crab key, no-till, composting, gardening, chickens, all of it. I think the big thing that staying busy like that does for you is it keeps your eyes in the future. And the future is where hope is. We have hope in the present and the future. We cannot have hope in the past. Good or bad, it's over. It's done. And the second you're living in right now just ended. And the next second ended. And the next second ended. And the next second ended. And the next. And you're in this constant perpetual reality that you have a certain number of seconds that you'll get to live. Be in touch with that. Don't be afraid of your mortality. It's part of what makes us special, I believe, is that we have a finite time. And those seconds are precious. And when you're focused on the next five minutes, the next five hours, the next five days, the next five months, and the next five years, when you're focused on that, you can't help but be optimistic. And if you're actively building You're always looking to the future because whatever you're building isn't done yet, and it will be done later. And that makes you look to the future, and it makes you think, what's next, and how does this help me, and how will this make my life better, and will it? Is this a good way to spend my time and my effort and my money? What's this doing for my kids? When you start asking those questions and you get good answers to them that keep you motivated, you can't help but be happy. I'm, You know, I am in... What people would think of is the most pessimistic industry that's ever been creative, created. Prepping. Survivalism. Sounds like a just a dark doomsday world. I would like to say I'm probably one of the most optimistic people in America. How many people can come out and look at the economic future of the world and say the dollar is crumbling, so build a business? Only people who are building can possibly think that way. Get building. Next, K-Bonk says, remarkable sight, shaking my head every time I see that. Not sure what that comment was in reference to. little hole in my theory there. Um, I think we'll, 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 we'll wrap there. I, I appreciate everybody tuning in today. We had a really good turnout in the live feed. If you'd like to be in on one of these live feeds, remember, you can always help or you can always uh, find out about our next live feed simply by going to tspclive.com, tspclive.com, and uh, you'll, you'll see all of the stuff. Uh, you'll see the next upcoming live stream. And I usually put those out the morning of, so somewhere around 9, 10 o'clock in the morning, I'll put up what's going to happen later that day, usually noon to one o'clock is when we go live. Um, I'll also say if you were on uh, Telegram, you'll always get a notice because Telegram will show you all the notices. So if you get on the Telegram channel, 
You can get on the group too, but if you get on the channel, you only get messages from me. And every day that there's going to be a live stream, at least an hour, usually two hours or more before it, you get a little notice and you can come check us out. The other thing I want to remind you guys of is you can help support the show and the work that we do uh, just by beginning your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Today's item of the day, I just brought to you last Monday, the Instant AccuSlim Sous-Vide Precision Cooker. So why did I bring it to you again? Because, of course, it figures. I brought it to you last Monday at full price, and today it's on sale for 20% off. So if you bought one last week, I, I don't usually apologize for something I didn't do wrong, and so I don't think there's any way I could have known they were going to put it on sale, but I'm sorry anyway that you spent full price on it. But if you didn't and you were thinking about it, this item doesn't tend to go on sale for very long, when it does, and it says it's a deal, a daily deal, so it may not even be here tomorrow. I actually wanted to do this in more of a uh, like a listener feedback episode and do a whole segment on sous vide cooking, and I didn't feel that felt well today. So I'm probably going to do that tomorrow on all the cool things a sous vide circulator can do for you. Um, but I thought if I didn't run this today, it probably would be on sale tomorrow. So I want to let you know about it today. If you've been thinking about inviting sous vide, sous vide into your life, this is a great cooker, and at 80 bucks, it's a hell of a deal. It's like $79.99 today. Check it out, the Instant AccuSlim Sous Vide Precision Cooker, and this is made by the same people that make Instapot. I still recommend the Anova. I think it's a great cooker as well, uh, but this one, especially when it's on sale, is a really great item. With that, we've wrapped up. Hope you enjoyed today's show. Tomorrow will be a listener feedback show. We'll do a variety of topics, and we'll go into some sous vide cooking and some other things. Again, I hope you really enjoyed today's show. I hope that when I bring you the darkness and the solutions, that the solutions hit harder than the darkness. We are in an extremely dark period for humanity right now. There's no doubt about it. There are people who really do want to control what you eat, who you spend time with, what you read, what you say, what you're allowed to say, who you're allowed to hear from, that have more power now than they've ever had in history. At the same time, they're losing. They're losing because their entire apparatus of control is built on a fiction that's falling apart right in front of them. That's why they're working so hard at maintaining power instead of fixing problems. And I guess the sad thing for them, though I, I don't really have a ability to be sad for them, is they actually could fix a lot of this shit right now. They could kick the can another 100 years. It actually wouldn't be that hard to do, but they have no interest in it. But the solutions are what it's all about. That's where that hope, that optimism comes from in the future. Because you know when else it's really dark? Right before the dawn. It's always darkest before the dawn. That's actually true. I don't know if you've ever spent the night out, especially alone and not with a tent. Like when I was a kid, sometimes I would go fishing and I would just spend the night, little campfire, something rolled up for a pillow, sleeping on the side of the pond, fish all night long. And figure you get that good bite in the morning and then go home. And I can tell you, it would always happen. You'd, you'd drift off of sleep, sleep to three, four o'clock in the morning. It'd be about four thirty, five o'clock, depending on when first light was, maybe about an hour before first light, you'd always wake up. And it wasn't just dark, cold. 
there was always that little pop, that little drop to where you really got chilled to your bones. But when you when it woke you up, you thought, sun will be up soon. A little fireball in the sky is going to come up and warm everything up. Hell, it's summertime. It can't be that cold. And that darkness and that cold was right before the dawn. And if you've ever experienced it, I think that saying means more to you. And it's such an old saying that most people would have experienced it. That's why it became what it became. I feel like it's pretty dark and pretty cold out there right now. And I kind of hear that music that goes along with the sunrise. And my intention is to start building before the sun comes up. And I suggest you do the same thing and you repeat daily the things that build that future. With that, before I go, I want to say, Anarchy, thank you for the 555 Super Chat. I just wanted to hit that before I leave. And with that, I will catch you guys tomorrow with another episode. It's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. Dollar down, a dollar a month. You never have to pay There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way